Hey team, welcome back to The Pillars, the podcast of the 363rd ISR wing. On The Pillars, we talk about topics related to resilience and human performance, and we try to help you identify uh, areas in your life to fix and help you finish a better wingman, leader, and warrior. We're on the road this week, actually, at the beautiful Wright-Patterson Air Force Base at the School of Aerospace Medicine, and we're at the Integrated Operational Support course, and we've got some special guests with us today. I've got Tech Sergeant EO representing the 25IS. How's it going? It's going great. Happy to be here. All right. And from the 365th ISR group, we've got Tech Sergeant Eric. How's it going? It's going great. Also, glad to be here. Great. All right, so I mentioned that we're, uh, we're on the road this week. We're out here at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and we're attending this intro to Integrated Operational Support course. Both of you guys are relatively new to our enterprise. Uh, both of you had worked in traditional mental health clinics until very recently. Uh, Eric, you were over there at the clinic at Nellis, and uh, how has your transition been to the group? Uh, so far, it's been great. Um, traditionally, in the, in the clinic, I've always worked ADAPT, and when I saw people there, they weren't always there because they were having a great day or anything like that. Like, I got to meet some great people and do some good work with them and uh, great outcomes. But now that I'm in the uh, 365th ISRG, I'm working with people that are relatively healthy. Like they're, they're in good spirits, they're having a good time, but there's, there's still things I can help them with. And that's been probably the best part about the transition for me so far. Yeah, it's a, it's a neat opportunity to kind of flex your skills in a different way. You know, working with primarily healthy populations and helping them to optimize their performance. Yeah, that's great. And now, Tech Sergeant EO, you yes. came to us from overseas. Tell us a little bit about the transition. Yes, so I was in the land of the rising sun in Yokota Air Base, Japan. And previously, I was actually selected for a really cool job working at the Inspector General office. Mm. So I did that for about a year came back to the clinic, and then I had a permanent change of station to where I'm at now, 25th Intel Squadron at Harvardville, Florida. It's been one of those trials where being the new guy, I stand out, but trying to make it so I stand out for the right reason, and trying to get used to the new culture and the new community and the new language. I thought I knew all the acronyms until I got there, and now I'm building that much more of a alphabet soup. I'm glad that you guys both kind of talked about your transition to this new kind of work. And I guess I'd like to ask you a little bit more about that. Um, you guys are new to the enterprise and you just happen to be in places right now where we're, we're still working to build up our teams there. So uh, you're both mental health technicians, but you know the intention is to pair you guys up um, with religious support teams, with medical folks, with other mental health providers and to build up a more robust capability. But right now, that's not the case, right? Right now, you guys are working alone and unafraid uh, in right. these units. And, uh, you know, you talked about some of maybe the pains of being the new guy and not everyone is sure what you do. And uh, uh, can you just talk a little bit about that? And if, you, if, if it's not asking too much, what do you do to kind of keep yourselves resilient, to use that word that we often use from a mental, emotional, spiritual kind of standpoint uh, as you're new in these positions? Right now, I'm, I'm, I'm networking as much as I can. Uh, so I, I don't have my full clearance yet, so I have interim clearance. So I have limited access to the people, but with the people I do have access to, I'm going out there and fostering those relationships and I'm getting to know the unit as much as I can from the few people I do have day-to-day -day, uh, interaction with. Um, so not only am I building professional relationships, I'm also building some friendships as well. And coming from the clinic side, where you can just kind of speak freely for the most part. 
um, with your coworkers uh, be like behind closed doors and all that stuff. Um, these relationships are just a little bit different in that they're not as um, censored, I, I, can, I guess. Uh, so some of the topics that I've uh, heard discussed have been just uh, like more normal interactions with adults that you would have like say on the civilian side. Uh, the clinical side is always more PC per se. It is a little bit of a different kind of style of interacting with people, right? Because uh, in one sense, uh, when you're walking around just kind of talking with people, you, you know that you represent a capability to the unit. You know, maybe you're there as a uh, kind of a mental health consultant or they're seeing you as sort of the, generally as the mental health or the medical expert. Um, and and you're, you're kind of on, you're, your customers are always in front of you, right? You're always kind of wanting to put your best foot forward. And, and that, um, that is unique. It's not, you don't have kind of your tribe to fall back on like maybe you did when you were working over in a clinic. And uh, yeah, it, it presents some interesting challenges for even for personal resilience. Uh, what about you, Tech Sergeant Yeo? It's the same, I can definitely relate. It, they're more candid. Mm -hmm. I know that the group that I'm in, they appreciate being genuine and more real. They don't want to know, like the old saying goes, how much you know. They just want to know that you care. So a lot of the times when I tell people, just call me EO, let me listen, get to know you, get to meet what you do and who you do that with, it goes a long way. So I can appreciate that. Just like Tech Circuit Eric was saying in the medical, we were so used to being politically correct, but a lot of times that created a barrier, I felt, with either rank or supervision, or maybe even if you were the NCOIC of an element, yet you still felt like you weren't being heard, you can't let that be shown to your maybe troops or even with the other leadership. So it's always having that mask, if you will, that it's now better. You know, I'm thinking about you guys and your jobs and um, our, our wing is relatively new. We've been around since 2015 and uh, this Airman Resiliency Team construct has been around a little bit longer than that. And I think uh, we've done pretty, a pretty good job within a relatively short period of time of introducing our capabilities that we bring to uh, the units that we support. And you know, certainly earlier on, um, we were really keen to help um, this community, which has historically been kind of hard to reach from a, at least from a mental health standpoint, um, help them to understand like, hey, it's okay for you to reach out and, uh, and, and get help. It's probably not gonna be as detrimental as you've imagined to like, let's just say your security clearance. Um, uh, there's there are probably not a lot of good reasons why you shouldn't uh, uh, reach out and, and get help. But so we, we do a lot of trust building and you know, a lot of that has to do with just kind of being present in the units and, and walking around and meeting people where they're at and a lot of times that will lead to um, conversations or funny interactions and um, people really start to open up. Eric, you were talking a little bit earlier today about uh, some of the earlier interactions uh, that you've had with the unit and how you've sort of been uh, endeared yourself to the unit. They have a nickname for you, don't they? Uh, yes, they do. Um, it, my nickname kind of stemmed from the way I would uh, approach certain situations, policies, and things like that. And it's, I, I would approach it from a medical standpoint, and they approach it from an intelligence standpoint. Um, so a uh, term of endearment for me would be uh, small badge. Uh, small badge. Referring to my uh, small AFSE badge. Um, and so whenever I start 
venturing into the medical realm and policy discussion, that's when uh, they kind of give me the look, and then I'm like, oh, small badge? And they're, like, <laughs> they're like, yeah, small badge. I'm like, okay, uh, I get it. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's where that nickname came from. And speaking of nicknames, uh, Tech Sergeant EO, it's probably, it's probably worth noting how you got the name EO within your, I think it's a, a loving kind of moniker that they've given to you, but it's sort of, uh, well, I'll let you tell the story. Sure. Yes. So I do have four names, but I'm just one person. <laughs> and the situation came about when the joke I would tell people is just save time and money, call me EO. I have two last names. They're only separated by a space. So that's kind of how that came about. I'm sure that later on, similar to Texan and Eric, I'm going to get a, their own version of a nickname or maybe a call sign, but we'll see. Maybe that'll, that'll stick. So you guys, on this program, I, I don't know if you guys are faithful listeners to the pillars. I just assume you are. But when we have folks on the podcast, we'll often ask, ask them the question, if you had a billboard and you could kind of broadcast whatever message, a message that you feel is important to people, uh, maybe on, on the topic of resilience or human performance, what would that message be? Eric, what, what do you got? Uh, I think I would go with something like, um, in big bold letters, it would say, what is your relationship with your stress? What is your relationship with your stress? You're going to have to unpack that for us. Okay, so we all have stress in our lives. Yes. And basically, we're never going to live a stress-free life. So you need to come to terms with that mm. fact. Right. But when you have stress, uh, I view it as more of a motivating factor. It's, it's your body kind of letting you know that you care about something and it deserves your attention. So therefore, you should take some action towards that. Uh, and that might help mitigate some of the stress you feel um, because we don't want to live super stressed out lives, but we're going to have stress. I'd be willing to give it a shot. <laughs> right. Yeah, but, you, but you're telling us that our stress tells us to kind of perk up and pay attention. I may be stressed because this is something that I value or that's in, it's important to me. Is that what you're saying? Correct. That's what I, um, that's what I go with, like, especially like, say like public speaking and stuff. That's a stressful event for a lot of us. Mm. Right. Um, yep. We get that little butterfly feeling and stuff like that. But that's also some energy that we could harness and for, to let us know that you know, we care about this. And instead of being debilitating, we can use that as a motivator as well. Yeah. And Making that empowering, maybe. Mm -hmm. Wow, this must be something I really care about. I must really want to do a good job. My message must be really important because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting stressed out about this. And instead of ruminating about like, oh, I'm going to do such a terrible job, try to, try to reframe it in. Yes, Those exactly. Things. So a lot of times how we frame things is also how they're going to play out in, in real life. Uh, so if we perceive stress as always going to be there, uh, but also as a positive, um, we're less likely to complain about it or to have some of the um, long-term physical effects, stuff like that. I like it. All right. So what is your relationship with your stress? That would be on your billboard. Yes. All right. That's a good one. EO, what about you? I would uh, like to piggyback off of that, and I like the word you, you used can't earlier. can't say the same thing. Right. Okay. Well, I like the word you used, ruminating, okay. because to me it seems like a lot of the times, a lot of the stress I have felt was not so much from the event itself, mm. but after the fact. Ruminating of what could have been done better, mm. what could have been done faster maybe, depending on what it was. So I myself end up being, at times, my worst critic. Mm. So that in itself will stress me out. So I've learned a little bit now 
that that's my relationship with stress. As that cousin that comes over uninvited, hangs out a little bit too long, and you want them to leave so you can watch the game, but they have to stick around because we're family and we love family. So that's kind of where I'm at right now with my stress. But it's good that you brought that up. That's a good, good topic that I think we forget. We forget that not all stress is negative. Absolutely. Because we all heard, heard about like you stress and like the chronic stress. And yes. What is the stress that? Distress. 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 Oh, distress. Yeah. That's a bad one. Yeah. Yes. So we all hear about that stuff, but we never really talk about like our day-to-day -day stress. The it good may kind. not be you stress, but it still can be a positive stress. Yeah, I yes. think that's important. You know, there is a sweet spot in life when it comes to stress. And, and you can probably picture the graph in your mind, so I'm not going to belabor the point. But stress is always going to be a part of our lives, and trying to live without it is probably a worthless pursuit. But just sort of figuring out how to manage that and learning how to talk to yourself about, you know, why am I ruminating about this thing right now? Exactly. You know, am I the only one who's thinking about this? Because people probably aren't criticizing me the way that I'm criticizing myself. So what's the utility in that kind of rumination? And if it's not valuable, maybe we could decide to let it go in favor of, you know, caring about something else that's more important in our lives than how my, my brief went at ALS or something like that. Right, that's a good point. And in terms of ruminating, I then ruminated about my ruminating <laughs> in thinking, why can't I let that go? Yeah. Is it to make me a better, in the topic of public speaking, a better public speaker? Or is it because I felt embarrassed when people were listening to my accent, let's say? Okay, interesting. And that in itself is more stressful, like I mentioned before, than the actual event was. Mm. So as I get older, I found that, honestly, I stopped caring as much. And also that... Maybe just the way I did things before, I did them because that's all I knew to do. Hmm. Whereas now there's so many other options that I don't have to ruminate about it. I can let it go and really just find what is the golden nugget, the main takeaway. If it truly was to become a better public speaker, then I should be focused on getting more classes or chances to speak in public a lot more. But if it was just to be embarrassed and not feel bad about it, that's not realistic because every day I will be embarrassed by something I do or say or don't do or don't say. I'm so glad that you brought that up and thank you for sharing with that. Like sharing that, I, it, when you start to think about what the effects of rumination are, right? Like you're, you're, you're basically suffering in si silence and you know, uh, something like your speech, that's not something that you can change overnight. And to the extent that you continuously worry about that, um, that's going to, present a pretty significant cognitive load to your brain, right? And so your brain yes. has to work extra hard to do routine tasks, right? And exactly. performance suffers um, as a result. So here's an example of, you know, uh, assessing what the value is of the rumination. And I really love how you said it, and I won't try to repeat it. Uh, listeners can go back and, and listen to it, but right. assessing what is the value, and if it's really just uh, so I can continue to whip myself on the back for, you know, making an embarrassing mistake. Or do I plan to do something with this? Do I plan to go seek out more education, more training to kind of to get that performance edge? Um, yes. And I think, I mean, I call that now opportunity. Mm -hmm. Instead of seeing it as a challenge or a problem, it's an opportunity to get better. And it's funny you brought that up earlier, too. Working with Intel, a lot of them are linguists as well. Yeah. And that really made me have a self-reflection moment mm -hmm. because they're struggling to learn their third and fourth language. Oh, I mean, these men and women are amazing that I work with. They, I honestly can say I will never be the smartest person 
Not that I was in the first place, but from here on out, I'll be the least smartest person. And when they talk about being a linguist and learning the languages, I remember how it was for me at my age. But again, I was younger, now then being older and being active in the military, that's much more stressful. They actually get tested, they have to qualify, they have to remember, recall. So a lot of times, that stress that it's undue, they themselves placed it on their own plate, so to speak. Mm. It can be stressful, and I see it a lot of times. I just think like uh, sometimes we get lucky and we, we, get, we get to put the right people in the right places. And I think in some ways maybe you're a, a really great fit for the unit you're with. There's probably no one who could have better empathy along those lines with our, you know, our Dizzos who are flying around in planes, you know, yes. uh, doing great things for America. And, uh, you know, the language is something that they've had to pick up later in life. And, That's right. you know, folks are struggling with feelings of proficiency and wondering how well they're doing at that aspect of their jobs. You know, that can also cut into performance. And what a great thing that you're there in the unit and uh, you can kind of relate to them on that level about that issue specifically. Thank you. Appreciate that. And hopefully I can translate that to a good performance myself being embedded into the uh, 25th Intel. Okay, I don't want to let you off the hook completely because <laughs> you kind of piggybacked on Eric's billboard. So um, I'm going to give you a second here. Sure. Uh, but same question, if you okay. had a billboard uh, okay. to kind of broadcast whatever you felt was uh, nearest and dearest to your heart or the most kind of important message, what would that be? Okay, so let me paint the picture of myself. I'm driving down maybe in Vegas where Texer and Eric currently lives. Top down, convertible, red of course. I look up at my billboard and I see the sign and it says, remember your first name. And I say that to say that we forget, I think, why we joined. Soon enough, we become a rank and our last names, right? So we lose that first name basis or status. And now I'm not my first name. Now I'm a Dizzo or a Tizzo or any new cool acronym. So I think my billboard would say, remember your first name. Hmm. And that goes along with what did you do when you were called by your first name? What did you like to do as a hobby? Maybe with your family? Not just in my case as a son, but also a husband mm. and a dad. I, I do forget that I need to remember my first name. Yeah. I always put all these other hats and roles in front of it that I think my billboard would remind me as I'm driving down to the next meeting or a doctor's appointment for my son or whatever the case may be, to remember myself and not get lost in the shuffle. That's a really great point. You know, in, on the podcast in the past, we've talked about the importance of identity uh, in a variety of different ways. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at. Let yes. me just ask you this. Like, you're saying that it's worth reminding people about that. It's worth, it's a, it's worth it to put it up on a, on, a, on a billboard. So what are the risks, do you think? It, what happens if we do forget? What if we forget kind of our first name, as you said it? Um, but what happens if we were for, to forget those kind of parts of us that are unique, that are special. Yes, so that's a good point. Where I work now, a lot of the times people are very concerned and you know, naturally so with remaining on flying status. Sure. If they get removed from flying status, they can't do their job. If they can't do their job, then who, who are they, right? So who am I? Mm. If, I, if, I if I don't do what I'm supposed to do that I've been trained to do, then who really am I? If I forget my first name, why I joined, and what made me re-enlist, two, three, four more times, it's easy to get lost and maybe struggle later on if what I did was my identity, now no longer is what I do, who truly am I? And I've seen a lot of the P 
people that come through the program or even go to mental health clinics, they, they struggle with that identity. And I've seen it where all spectrums, it could be just a minor stress, no big deal, I'll get back on flying status, to the extreme, where now life is over as they know it, so they need to just figure out the quick, quickest way out and just escape from it. You know, when I have talked to folks from your unit, uh, Dizzles or Tizzles, um, you just routinely hear it's like, oh, it's the coolest job in the Air Force. People just, yes. they just love it and they want to do it, you know, uh, as long as they can. And, uh, and I think it is a source of immense pride and they know what their impacts are on, on the big, you know, sure do. both tactically, but it's operational and strategically at all levels. And um, it's easy to really get wound up in that. And, uh, and that's a good thing. That's exactly it what is. we want. Mm -hmm. Um, but sometimes you mentioned because of illness or injury, sometimes we're taken down a peg. And then right. if we don't have another satisfying identity um, and, a, you know, a strong, uh, solid identity to fall right. back on, sometimes that can throw us for a loop and we can experience almost an identity crisis. Right? That's right. Yeah. Almost like midlife crisis. Yeah. And then some of the choices we make, we don't think about the consequence. We just think about the immediate relief that, OK, this is what I'm doing because I have to get it done. That's so, a good point. So what you're saying is, uh, is I, I, I agree with it, and it's making me think right now. Um, but I think it makes me think about, about back when I was uh, supervising young airmen or then when I was supervising staff sergeants, what information I'd give them. Uh, but one of my biggest uh, things about new airmen would be when you're transitioning to the Air Force, mm -hmm. like you have to kind of stop thinking about yourself as by your first name, basically. Exactly. Like your name is not just Joe, you know, you are yes. a senior and so-and-so. And once you get comfortable with that fact that you are in the military, like mil being in the military becomes a lot easier because this is your life and you become more passionate about some right. stuff. Um, but this then kind of be re-identifying with your first name is like full circle. Because once you're yes. comfortable with the fact that you're in the military and that becomes you know, second nature, right. I think getting back to knowing who you actually are and what's important in your life, that sounds very important too. And I, I kind of like that. Yeah. You know, when you yes. talk about, uh, you think about that young airman who's coming into the Air Force, uh, mm -hmm. 17, 18, 19 years old. And when you think about a and, and I don't mean to imply that anyone's children here, but like when you think about a child development or adolescent identity development, that transition from civilian to military life is happening at a critical juncture in, uh, in development. And a lot of times when you talk to people about, hey, what are your motivations for joining the Air Force? One of the things you hear is, I wanted to belong to something that was bigger than myself. Right. And, it, and that's kind of coded language for, I was really looking to identify with something. I needed something. Um, and so, you know, whether that's an occupation or going to school or something like that, people are looking for the next kind of big thing to get some sense of identity from. But sometimes people uh, foreclose on an identity very quickly. They kind of put all their eggs into one basket. And, and we certainly ask you to do that, especially in the very early days of your military careers to kind of Put all your eggs in this basket for a while. You are you are becoming airman so and so. Right. Um, but as we get a little bit older, we need to make sure that we are pursuing identity, remembering our first names. Like yes. You said, uh, getting back to our roots and bringing yes. all the good stuff that you know that that is who we are to our jobs, so that we're three dimensional being. You know, you're you're going to be a much more effective supervisor, leader, wingman by bringing all of yourself to that, to that role, right? That's exactly right. And if I can share one quick story, 
my first TDY in the Air Force, I forgot, which may sound silly, I forgot to pack civilian clothes because I thought it's a TDY, it's work-related, mm -hmm. I want to make a good impression, I care about my job, et cetera, et cetera. So as I'm packing all my stuff and I'm forgetting my civilian clothing, I quickly remember, that's right, I'm not always on shift mm -hmm. or on duty 24-7, literally. Hmm. So I need to bring my shirts and my Lakers jersey, don't judge me. <laughs> so all those things that I wear that my first name likes to wear when I'm not on duty or on shift, I was not going to bring that. And I was going to be okay with that. But something in the back of my mind said, hey, you know what? Yes, it is a TDY, it is work-related, but you also got to remember that, you, you, like you said, that was a great example, you're not just giving up your first name. You're adding more to it. And that's something that I, since then to now, every TDY, not on purpose, but I think about that. Hey, remember to pack your civilian clothing. So that's a good, that's a good point. So I have the exact opposite story. My first <laughs> TDY is mental health. Uh, I've yeah. been packing my uniform. Nice. Uh, I had some polos and some cargo shorts and some flip-flops because uh, we're on the beach. That's right. But uh, I was the most comfortable person in that class. <laughs> <laughs> very, very casual. Yeah, so casual ever since then, I yeah. have uh, triple-checked my uniform. <laughs> okay, so my sibling clothes are fine. They're, they're taken care of. But. Yes. Well, interesting discussion, I think, as always on the pillars. And I think we, we didn't really know where we were going necessarily with this interview, but I think we've had like a really... Uh, you know, really interesting conversation. And we just want to say uh, thanks to our listening audience. Uh, hopefully you got something um, out of today's discussion. And it, what a great opportunity to introduce uh, two fabulous guys who are new to our organization. We're excited to have you with us. Uh, I, I'd love to be able to tell you that help is on the way very soon, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see how that unfolds. But uh, thank you for your service. Thank you for the work that you're doing and, and keep up the good work. Thank you very thank much. You. Appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Hey, uh, again, thanks for listening to the Pillars of Podcast of the 363rd ISR Wing. Um, I'm Dr. Reed. I'm Tech Sergeant Eric. And I am Tech Sergeant EO. Thanks for listening to us. Uh, we're grateful for what you do, and we're here to serve you. So reach out to us on the global. Uh, let us know how we can help you out. Have a good one. <laughs>